and welcome to Fintech Insider. I'm MJ. This is part two of our Money 2020 Europe special. On the show today, we talk to Jay Dev, the CEO of Zopa. Simon catches up with Gemma Godfrey on the Celebrity Apprentice in Moolah, and MasterCard opened themselves up to startups. All this and more on today's episode. Fantastic. So I'm joined by the lovely Gemma Godfrey uh, here on Fintech Insider Interviews. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, we've uh, we've been looking forward to having your show for some time. Uh, you've been quite busy, though, recently. You, uh, you did, did a little thing in the States, didn't you? Little, little show, The Celebrity Apprentice, yes, yeah. with How Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Uh, is, is he like he seems? Even better. I mean, yeah. charismatic. I mean, look, you don't dominate four industries without, uh, you know, knowing a little bit of something. You know, yes, it was bodybuilding. It was also Hollywood. Property. He is a property mogul. I did not know that. Yeah. And then the final one, um, you know, governor of California. Politics. Absolutely dominated it. The guy's a, a heck of a talent. So definitely some interesting experiences. But you've also been busy in the background uh, building Law, I believe. Uh, can you tell us what that is? So Moolah is an online investment service that is there to help everybody be able to put their money to work. So the, the, the need that we saw in the marketplace is just for something that is easy to use, simple to understand. I mean, we had somebody go through the service the other day in under five minutes. So it's really intuitive and it helps people put their money to work. Uh, when you say go through the service, you mean register, start yeah. using the service from nothing to, yeah. to be on the platform. That's really cool. How do you do that? What's the secret sauce? How are you helping people really, really get on the platform? What we want to do is we just want to break down the barriers. And funnily enough, in finance, there's quite a lot that's unnecessary, a lot of unnecessary jargon, a lot of unnecessary, you know, papers, you know, forms to fill out. So we've done is we've automated it. Obviously, we still have a human customer service team if people want to speak to it, but we've tried to make it as intuitive as possible and help buttons every step of the way so that when someone comes on board, they can really understand why we're asking certain things, why we're doing certain things. And I think that another really important part of this is we're growing a membership base rather than just trying to sell, rather than just trying to get people to invest. And ultimately, if people aren't ready, most people aren't. It takes them a few visits. That's absolutely fine. Join the membership group and we will help and hold people's hands. And we have a whole knowledge center to educate them on the basics of finance. So there's a lot of people that know they should be saving more, that feel like they just don't know where to put their money. And the bank accounts aren't offering great savings rates. So it probably makes more sense to spend it to them. And they just don't know how to how to put it away. So really that sort of guidance piece, uh, there's a wonderful chap at Barclays called Paul Titterton. Uh, talks about what's the competitive advantage of a human. And it's really giving the empathy back into into that process so that's that's super interesting we actually had some research we analyzed 18 million online discussions about money and half of them were asking for advice yeah so some form of help some form of guidance and and that's what's missing at the moment is as you said that there's enough out there that if you know what you're looking for you know what you want to buy you can do it directly and that's fine and also if you have enough money that you want to, that you can get a really personalized service you have hundreds of thousands of pounds again fantastic there are places you could go to but for the majority of the population stuck in that middle you know we're there to help so it's like having a private banker but for everybody and using technology to kind of bring down the cost of that so can you give me an example of who your customer is and and what their life story is, what their journey is, and and how they've found using your platform. It's really interesting because obviously having those specific personas is so important, but what we found is we've got a breadth of people. The majority obviously are new to investing, so they absolutely recognize that leaving their money in a savings account is not going to keep up with the rising cost of living. They do want to do something about it. So so that's kind of the the novice section of our our, um, customer base. But you still have sophisticated people that actually what resonates with them is the fact that it's low cost, it's simple, it's easy, and it can be the boring, bog standard core bit of your money so that you can then do all the fun stuff around the edge as well. 
well. So it kind of resonates from all the strands of um, from an understanding perspective and also all, all the whole wealth spectrum as well, because again, it can be something that you put a smaller amount of your money on. So we're moving into a world of open banking. We're seeing the potential for uh, APIs and open banking to really create a, a different marketplace. One, I want to get your thoughts on that space. And two, how does that potentially impact your business and, and, and change it? I'm so excited about open banking <laughs> because it, all it'll do is enable services to be more tailored and more intelligent. So the best thing, the way that I can see our business iterating is the more information we have on somebody because of the information in their bank account, the better we can allocate their money. So the better we can invest by knowing, well, actually, how much do you really have in cash? So actually, how much should you be putting to work? And also the great thing about, you know, again, this is a service that you can do in America, is to identify how much extra money they don't usually use each month. And you know, why aren't you sweeping that into your investments as well? So it makes sure that people are most efficiently and most effectively using what they've got. That's really cool. I would love something doing that for me. Just, <laughs> just look at my bank account for me and figure yeah, it out. I really go. like that. Um, and so what do you see are the bigger trends coming towards people? What are people going to look forward to from fintech? Fintech's been around for four or five years now, and there's still a lot of key challenges out there. What do we need to do as an industry? To, to help people get past that? The key challenge that especially smaller companies have is to be able to find people. But the key challenges for large institutions is to find new services for their people. So actually, what we're starting to see is this recognition that we need to work together and we need to collaborate. And that actually, companies aren't so much in competition. There isn't this risk of smaller services coming along saying we're going to replace you. So what you've got is you've got the large corporates that have a wealth of data on their customers that they've gathered over decades. And then you have technology companies coming along saying we can use that data to actually analyze it and tell you more about your people. So it's, it's just a marriage made in, in heaven. So you've got large corporates saying we've got people, we're looking for new services. You've got the startup saying well, we've got new services looking for people. And that is why we're going to start to see actually the industry accelerate more and more. That's going to be really, really cool and exciting. So if people want to learn more about yourself and what you do at Moolah, where, where do they go? So Moolah, the website is www.moo.la, M-O-O.la. Fantastic. Gemma, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. So we're here with Marco and Nigel, uh, Solaris, Rails Bank, and I hear you have some news. Yes, we're, we're pleased today to announce that uh, Solaris and Rails Bank are going to be working together and Solaris be offering their services through the Rails Bank platform. We're wow. super pleased for customers now can access Germany and the, the, all the innovation that's available uh, through, through Solaris. Very happy. I think it makes a lot of sense when you just look at it from a from perspective of what platforms do. Uh, Rails Bank doesn't have a banking license, but they have superb technology. We have uh, very good technology. We have our banking license. So it's basically a, a kind of the, the, the logical next step that, mm. um, that, we, that we find things where we cooperate on and we find things where we might be competing on. But this is, uh, this is just basically the next step and uh, makes a lot of sense. It sounds great because you're, I guess, both like big platforms, but just a little bit separate in terms of like the underlying infrastructure, the connections, and connecting all of those other players together on top of that. Well, it's it's like if a, if a customer uh, needs to access uh, banking services outside Europe, they can just switch on the outside Europe services and still maintain relationship that they've had with Solaris, and that's I think important for customers. Uh, and it's, it also shows the general sort of fintech tribe attitude to doing business of being working together coincidence of purpose and how licensed, unlicensed can work together in a sort of cohesive manner to de- deliver superb sort of experience for customer. 
because that's ultimately that's that's who's important to us. So if I'm a, uh, a fintech or a, a small bank and want to start playing, what does the relationship give give me? Well, the the, the point is what we do now. This is um, let's put it that way. We have a number of uh, different possibilities, and you should not leave uh, Clive or Nigel and myself in in a room just for a couple of hours <laughs> because there's so many things coming out. So we have to look at the priorities. Sure. First one is obviously we're using the rails for 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 tapping into the UK market for basically for the payment system, which is basically a simple one, and uh, vice versa. So we have a lot of things where we can actually work on. And for the uh, for the fintechs who come into this, so we see this as well as a reseller as a, as a further multiplicator. And uh, so getting more customers, more traction, more end customers on both our platforms will help both of us, will specifically help our partners and their end customers. So we're happy for this relationship. It's exclusive to you guys. Well, and thank here you. at Money 2020. That's uh, amazing. Thanks for coming and sharing that with us. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Cheers. Hey, so I'm here with Jaidev from Zopa, CEO. It's been a big year for Zopa. Indeed. So tell us about, I mean, you and you guys have been around for a long time, 2005? Yes. We were founded in 2004, launched in 2005, yes. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's a, a great many years in fintech years. That's Indeed. like 10 times the, you know, the, the length of anyone else. Tell us a little bit about Zopa for people who have been living under a rock and don't know who you are. So Zopa was the world's first uh, marketplace uh, lender, or peer-to-peer lender. Uh, we started in 2005, uh, focused on consumer lending. So we get uh, money from both consumers and, uh, and institutions and lend it to other consumers. Our typical uh, consumer that we are looking to, to lend to uh, are uh, UK consumers who have uh, steady jobs. Think about them as nurses, uh, Policemen, police women, uh, teachers—you know, people who have steady income but need debt uh, every now and then, uh, typically to do a big spend. Cars uh, is a big reason why people take loans from us. Uh, home improvement—you want to build a kitchen, uh, and so on. Uh, so they usually find us online and uh, get a loan from us. Now, typical lenders uh, are uh, people. We've got two groups. Uh, we've got uh, a younger group who are looking to get a higher return on their investment. They're typically thinking of they want to buy a house. Uh, have a deposit and how can they get a better return on their investment or people planning for their retirement or are already retired uh, so that's kind of uh, the typical people who, who lend with us uh, as a business we are doing about a billion pounds alone this year uh-huh. uh, we just crossed the two billion pounds ever uh-huh. um, and now now looking to can expand further get a banking license mm. and uh, to be able to offer a wider range of products yeah it seems um it, there's a couple of nice things that I uh, that, that seem to have happened. One, that move from peer-to-peer lending to marketplace lending, yeah. which seems to have allowed a lot bigger money and you know PE hedge funds, you know big people who want to want to invest. And secondly, this uh, this expansion, I guess, into new territories. You know, how's the uh, how's the peer? I mean, you invented the peer-to-peer lending marketplace. How has that evolved? So the peer-to-peer lending uh, marketplace, I think, has grown uh, and has has included now more players. And when we think about uh, institutional lending, I think that has been a good a good source of both stability uh, as well as enabler of growth uh, for us. But we've been more picky uh, in terms of what institutional lenders we want on board uh, and how do we kind of deal with them. So I think there are a few principles that we've held is one, we want money that's not hot money. So that's money that's more sticky and more stable. And in that sense, we haven't got any hedge fund money, for example. Sure. Uh, the, uh, the institutions who lend with us are either banks and thus have uh, a similar mindset of risk return that we would like our individuals to have, or uh, funds that have been raised only to invest in marketplace lending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thus, you know, 
the next time oil prices are more attractive, they don't take the money and put it somewhere else. Right. So that has been a part of it. And the reason why we think it has really helped the business is, A, uh, we've always felt that uh, the retail lending is a product that's actually bought and not sold, uh, if you mean. Uh, so it has, you, people need to understand uh, the risk associated with it uh, and, uh, and then participate. Uh, and thus, word of mouth is the best way of, uh, of growing that business. So we've never spent any money uh, marketing for our, lend, uh, for our lenders or our investors. Uh, and that has meant that while our uh, retail book continues to grow at a rapid pace, the way we have lent, our lending volumes is probably sometimes outpaced uh, that growth. Mm. And thus having institutional capital uh, has been a good way to enable, uh, enable that growth. The second, our retail investors are not able to do the kind of due diligence that the institutional investors are able to do. So when an institutional investor signs on, they are signing on with the, uh, in the same way a retail investor is signing. We have the same principle that will treat them the same, which means they don't get to pick loans. Uh, they get the same random bl- uh, blend of the platform as institutional investors, as retail investors do. But to get comfortable with that, they have to do a lot of due diligence on our platform, on the way we do credit risk assessment, on the way we do collections, and saying, yep, uh, the risk associated with these guys is something that we were, were taking. And thus, I, I feel that our retail in, uh, investors should get a lot of comfort that we've got banks lending on our platform because mm. they are putting the same money at the same terms uh, at the same place uh, uh, that our individuals are. So in that sense, it has been a almost a stamp of validation uh, for the platform. Do you think it, um, does it change the value proposition? Because I guess P2P lenders have always had like a great, like a low default rate compared yeah. to traditional loans. Yeah. And I've always wondered whether that's to do with, you know, if I'm lending and if I'm borrowing and I know that Bob, you know, who's a policeman in Leicester or, yeah. or something is lending me the money, yeah. is, does that make me more likely to pay it back? And does the, the move to executional investors change that dynamic at all? We have, we have done a lot of research with our borrowers uh, to understand why they choose Zopa, mm. right? Uh, and why do they choose to... Uh, and uh, one of the things that we found out was they are far more focused on making sure they are finding a trusted provider, making sure they understand the product and, and having a great experience. In most ways, un- unfortunate as it is, they're somewhat indifferent uh, okay. to the source of the capital. Okay. Uh, uh, and when now you've seen some of the, you know, the performance on institutional lenders versus retail lenders, we do not see a difference in repayment behavior or in terms of uh, in terms of defaults and so on and so forth. And again, that could be because again, if you look go go back to the customer segment that we are focused on. We focused on people who with established credit histories who are responsible uh, with their credit, uh, and thus. In most cases, when they don't pay back, it's not because they don't want to, it's because they can't. Uh, and uh, the loan's not affordable because there has been an unforeseen life event in there uh, mm. that has happened to them. And thus, that, that behavior hasn't changed. I don't think the, uh, and I don't think the kind of customers we are attracting as a result of uh, the change in the funding profile has changed much uh, at all. So now we're looking at uh, your expansion. You yes. know, obviously, the news this year was about applying for a banking license. Uh, talk us through that. Why does why does Open need a banking license? So we were looking at uh, you know what our customers are saying, and one of the things we heard back from them is that you know currently we provide we satisfy two of their needs: if they want to invest money, um, uh, or if they want to kind of borrow for these reasonably well planned uh, big expenses. On the lender or the investor side, they have a big savings pot. Uh, which we don't, you know, which they don't put with us because we do not provide savings products. And they have said that, you know, we did hear the feedback that if we provided more of that, then we would, we would, we would be a kind of bigger part of their of their financial life. And on the borrower side, and uh, we, that was maybe the stronger motivation in some ways, where we saw, you know, where, what are the products where we can uh, we can create a difference? Uh, and some of them, like credit cards and auto finance, where mm-hmm. uh, the same level of disruption has not happened as it has happened in personal loans. Mm. Uh, and that means the products are not 
either not as competitive or uh, are not necessarily aligned with the customer's interest mm. uh, exist. And we said if we had to disrupt those markets, how do we do that? And they don't lend themselves very well to peer-to-peer models, right? With uh, credit uh, cards is a problem of uncertain mm. maturity and uncertain interest rates. And, you know, so thus, I can't have person A lend to person B because they don't know when person B is going to come pay back sure. and whether there will be an interest earned or not. So that's kind of you push towards a balance sheet model. And when we went to the balance sheet model, again, we could have said we could get some institutional capital, but, you know, uh, we felt expanding into a retail base is a, is a better way of doing that and that's the bank. Hmm. So expanding into lending, I get, you know, auto finance, short-term loans. How do you see APIs figuring into this? Right. You know, yeah, I think we, we are incredibly excited by the open banking and, you know, and the potential it offers. And uh, uh, there is one which is more direct and uh, sh- uh, uh, almost short-term benefit that we can, uh, we can get as soon as, as, as soon as the API is available in January, hopefully, of 2018. And some that will, I think, take a bit longer. So if I think of the shorter-term opportunity, it's about, I think we've always prided our in our ability to A, offering a very seamless experience for our borrowers and B, being at the forefront of uh, credit risk assessment uh, so that we are making the right decisions, both from a borrower standpoint, making sure the loans are affordable to them, uh, but also for the lenders uh, to make sure that their money is safe. And the APIs will actually help both of those. So uh, one of the big friction points today is that in our attempt to do making prudent credit decisions, we want to verify incomes. Right now, the way we do that is, is through some automated data sources, but they don't have complete coverage, sure. which means often we'll ask our borrowers to take a photograph of their bank statement and through their smartphone and upload it. We think that's somewhat easy, but we can see that customers are not happy with that. We can see there's drop-off, and with an open API, uh, they could easily just, you know, through their bank, sure. uh, pass on the data to us uh, and never have to take a photograph of their bank statement. So that, you know, that makes the journey more seamless. We also get access to that data, which enables us to uh, offer better credit risk assessment, better pricing. Uh, so if you can see that somebody has a far more regular income, uh, which you can't see from the credit history, then that offers them, allows us to offer them a lower price, for example. Sure. Uh, so, so, on, so on one hand, you're ingesting, you would ingest API data like PSD2, CMA yes. remedies yes. to get access to people's transactional histories. Yeah. I guess I'm also interested, on the other hand, will people always come to the Zopa website in order to arrange their borrowing or will that occur on whatever platform they're on? You know, is there a, um, a, a used car platform like Hello Car? Yeah. Uh, and then would you then offer lending as an API and that kind of service? Yeah. So, uh, and that's the part which I said is going to be longer term and which, are, which we are even more excited about. So, and there are two opportunities there uh, as we see it. Uh, the one which is smaller but still incredibly big is, the, is this lending as a service or lending as an API, uh, which is about being able to offer that on multiple platforms but, be, but still getting all the data that, that we need to do. We be, fundamentally believe that the more the customer goes and searches, they will find that, you know, that we are a better option than many others in the market and we are more likely to win. And we see that when you, somebody goes to money supermarket, we do much better uh, than sure. the traditional providers. Uh-huh. Uh, and we were you know, the, the best personal loan provider for money supermarket last year. Uh, and so that's a trend that will continue, we think. And the more customers search and find the better deal, we think we have we are there to win. But I think what's even more exciting is that this allows us the opportunity to have a overall view of the customer's uh, uh, finances and be able to actually facilitate some of those transactions ourselves. Currently, often the current account is a uh, anchor around the neck of the customer because that's where of their their life is, and they're almost forced to go back to that current account provider, no matter what how bad that service is. Uh, in a world where you have PSD two uh, uh, and we can be a 
PISP, so to speak, where we can actually operate the current account on the behalf of the customer, right. we think we can offer far more insight, far more data, and give the customer better control over their financial life. So our vision in the long term uh, is to be the best place for money for consumers, uh, where we want to give them a holistic view of their financial life, provide some compelling products that can help them, mm-hmm. but where we do not play, uh, actually offer them the best alternatives that are out, out there in the market. So that's our vision, and that's what I think, uh, that's the most exciting part of of, of uh, of the open APIs. Well, that's a great vision, and I wish you luck, Jadev. Thank you uh, so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot. The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription. Critical mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach critical mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs, opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round. Let's be honest. Most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today. Hey, so I'm here with Jack uh, from Wirecard. How's it going? It's going really well, yeah. It's the uh, two days or the second day into what's been a busy couple of days. But yeah, really good show. So we're at Money 2020, which I guess is a hunting ground for you, given that you power or seem to power most of the debit card, um, you know, fintechs on the uh, on the scene at the moment. We've certainly got a lot of customers here, which is a lot of fun. We get to meet them, uh, get to see them in an environment where actually we can uh, we can have a good conversation, a good chat. Um, but every year it's different. There are more fintechs coming out, and so there are you know it's not just about seeing the people that you already know. There's something new happening all the time. It's been a lot of fun. So obviously I know you guys from Monzo and also you, yep. you, you uh, work with Revolut and N26 previously yeah, and a variety of, uh, of clients. How did you like, get to that position? Because you're, you're based in Berlin, right? We're in Munich, actually, Munich, just right. on uh, the top side of Munich, east side of Munich. I think Wirecard's a bit of a, is a technology company. Most technology companies evolve. Well, I guess they evolve or die. But ultimately, we evolved uh, insofar as we acquired a banking license and we created a, ba- a technology around a bank um, sort of seven or eight years ago. And that then kind of enabled us to be able to power the likes of N26. And I'd say number 26 was probably one of the first... Uh, first challenger banks that we, that, that we really started to work with and um, so we sort of shaped our services around that and, and, and now well we're now we're working with many of them but it's uh, that was the journey really and so how did that start um, someone came to you and said like we want to uh, to trade off your banking license or were you offering products already that were somewhat somewhat close well, well I cut it as hard has always been B2B to C I mean we're, so, we're, so we're often in the discussion and we always have been in the discussion when people are looking to build something so when you're when number 26 were looking to kind of uh, to, you know to get into this kind of neobank space there weren't that many providers at that time that had a a robust set of APIs I guess we were probably one of the, the early companies to ride that API wave and, and, and we rode it well um, so there weren't a great deal of uh, competitors out there at the time that could offer that so we were, we were quite uniquely placed we're still uniquely placed but maybe not so much as we were six years ago I guess 
Because I guess some people would see it as quite a risky proposition to uh, to empower uh, you know new startups with a license that essentially is, uh, yeah, is yours. I, mean, I, I, I wish everybody that I spoke to fully understood that the, the fact is that we you know we are providing that license, and that comes with an awful lot of not just fiscal regulatory responsibility, but uh, you know it, we have to be very responsible in the way that we take that forward. Now we're very lucky that we that we operate two licenses with two very good regulators. We are Barfin regulated in Germany, but also we hold a, an EMI uh, license out of the UK. The FCA is 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 is, is greater and empowering new uh, business models, but that doesn't absolve us of the responsibilities of administering them correctly, right? So if I was a new fintech coming to you to say, hey, I want to launch this new, you know, prepaid card or debit card kind of proposition, what's your advice or like, how do I do that? It, look, it's a real balance, right? Because like anything, you know, if you back 10 startups, you might find that one of them does really, really well. So you've, you've got to be in the game enough. And so you've got to really kind of listen to the community and shape your services to fit their business model. But everything works as a consultative workshop. You know, I'd love to say this is a commoditized business, but it really isn't. You know, look, we'd love to commoditize as much of it as possible because clearly, you know, it helps our cost of delivery. But you know, it starts with a workshop. It starts to understand, just understand what it is they're trying to do, what part of this this whole kind of financial services area they're trying to attack, for want of a better word, and, and try and shape the services around it. But that workshop process can take anything from a day to a few weeks. But you know, the trade-off is we know our customers are a hell of a lot better than in some other areas because we've you know we've gone through a bit of a journey with them before we've even signed a contract, right? which is which is quite cool. So what are the biggest mistakes or misconceptions or sort of missteps, you know, that, that people would make? I think um, one of the things I see repeated often is, is where you get people who are coming in who are trying to change, to change the payment rails. There's nothing wrong with them. They work perfectly. That is not an area where we need innovation. What we need is, is better tonality with our customers. We need you know, better approaches to, to risk management. We need all of these things. What we don't need to do is to, is to change the things that aren't broken. And I see a lot of startups who are looking to, or a lot of you know, even established players who are looking to kind of create a different revenue stream by coming in and, and changing those, those kind of robust rails that we all know work perfectly well. So there seems to be a lot of uh, innovation being pushed at the moment by MasterCard and Visa and other people coming through. Is there anything in the kind of card space that excites you in terms of uh, well, it new developments? Me, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, I think MasterCard and Visa and, and, and absolutely American Express in, in certain markets as well have really kind of come to the party recently. Because, but by by necessity, right? Sure. You have to contain part of this commerce discussion as we move forward, and it'd be very easy to not be in that discussion without being there. So I think we've seen this ability via a tokenization approach recently, where where you can start to do really interesting things with cards on on file. You can start to kind of blur the lines between where transactions happen, where they don't, and and, and where you can kind of apply data insights to that. Now a lot of that has been driven by this. this principle that I'm not continually having to store details or, or add them in and those tokenization approaches have been heavily mandated by Visa and MasterCard in fact they've taken them over in, 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 in some respects which you could look at you could look at that both ways right and I'm an, I'm an agnostic person so I, I don't I don't have an overriding opinion but I don't look at it as stifling I look at it as just create, again creating a structure for these innovations to happen and so they're part of the conversation now and, 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 I, and I think that's probably one of the interesting things we're seeing at the moment. I guess, you know, we've got those schemes as the, the base platform rails. Yeah. You know, uh, Wirecard could be argued to be one of the original sort of bank as a platform players. Absolutely. Bank as a service, certainly, bank yeah. Service. 
and I guess we're seeing you know new players come in in terms of well Solaris in, yeah, uh, in Berlin or Railsbank and a variety of players. How do you see how do you see that market or you know are there various strata that people are playing in? Where are you? Yeah. I, I, so I think there's a couple of things. I mean, the fact that you, know, you mentioned two very notable companies there that, that are coming in. Well, first of all, they're they're legitimizing our business, which is great. You know, and the, the, you know nobody has nobody is shy of competition in that respect. And again, they are API-driven businesses like we are. And I think what you're seeing is you're at, you're starting to see an area where, and the Solaris is probably a good example where they are very good at they're very good at attracting a very very subset of customers. Now, where we we have transitioned from that space into into the scenario where actually we're your growth partner. Mm. You know, when you want to move forward and really scale this business, we're the partner at that point. So I think we're all kind of finding our little niches. And actually, you know, we 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 don't. I know it's a real cliched thing to say, but we really don't see so you know other com- other companies like that as com- competitors because we're also working with them. We're also collaborating, and the space is incredibly collaborative at the moment. This, this fintech space, more so than anywhere else that I've uh, or in any other kind of area of paytech or, or whatever. So. I think we're all finding our little niche and, and there's a lot of business around there to go around. You've just got to work out how to service it well, right? Uh, and so you're pr- predominantly focused in Europe or are you looking broader? Not at all. I mean, so, so, so Wirecard in, in its kind of, in, in its makeup has acquired a lot of assets around the world over the last sort of five or six years. We, a big growth area is Asia for us where we have a number of centers. We're centered in Singapore, Hong Kong, a number of other markets in the region. We just made a big acquisition in India that enables us to launch through that. Yep. Um, and having built out that eastern proposition like anybody else we've looked west now we made a recent uh, um, prepaid portfolio acquisition from Citibank that has built up that kind of area so that you know we'll be looking to kind of create those hubs and spokes around so that that we can try and fully crack that global player piece which I don't think anybody's fully cracked yet but we're going to give it a good shot and is that the vision for Wirecard? Like, is there a, a picture for where you guys want to be in, in a few years? I think to me, it's six words, easily repeatable for people like I can remember them. It's global acquiring, it's global issuing, and it's global banking, which fits so super nicely with the whole, you know, if you look at it from Europe, PSD2, you could almost, you can almost distill it down to that message anyway, right? That's this interoperability, and that's what we're trying to do globally. That's great. Jack, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Fantastic. So we're here at Money 2020 with Amy Neal from Mastercard. Amy, thank you for being on the show. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good, good. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Mastercard? So I head up Mastercard's global startup engagement program. Um, We work with early stage companies from right across the globe, connecting them with Mastercard, all parts of our business, and also opening the doors to our vast network worldwide. So making introductions for those companies to our wide network of banks, merchants, and others around the world. Very cool. So could you give me an example of who that might be and, and what they might do? From a startup point of view, so we're really excited that today at Money 2020 we've just announced the six new startups that will be joining the next wave of the program. And they're all here with us actually today, as well as a bunch of our portfolio companies as well. So it's a very busy day. But in terms of, you know, a, a good example of companies that we're working with, one that I think is super interesting, super exciting, is an Indian startup um, called Tag who are working in the space of contactless payments. But what they've done is they've developed a new technology that enables sound-based contactless payments instead of NFC. Uh, They have a little pod, acceptance pod, that could be deployed anywhere in the world, even with no Wi-Fi. 
to enable uh, contactless payments to be taken. And they also integrate with existing point-of-sale terminals uh, without any need to replace the existing hardware that exists um, with this, this new technology. So really exciting company that we found in the middle of India that we brought all the way over to Copenhagen. Fantastic story. And so if I'm a startup and I want to get involved in future programs, I want to speak to MasterCard, like how do I do that and what, what are the benefits? Well, we have a website, www.startpath.com, uh, which talks uh, about everything that we do through the program, but it's also the place that startups can apply. We're a global team, so uh, myself and my colleagues work right across the world, connecting with startups all the time, connecting in with our network of VCs, accelerators, etc., to find out where there are startups that are doing really interesting stuff. We take a particular focus on companies that have already raised some capital. So for us, it's really interesting when a company has uh, taken on a significant seed round or a Series A, has a product in market, but is thinking about how they scale internationally. So that's our, our real sweet spot. Um, and then we invite a selected number of companies to join us over a six-month period. We create a bespoke plan for each of the companies that comes into the program. So we try to solve specific challenges that each individual startup is facing by connecting them with our business and our, and our ecosystem. In the last uh, round, we had a, about 500 applications for the program. We selected six, so we're highly selective when it comes to the uh, startups that we engage with. But we're really broader than payments, so we're interested in companies that are covering anything that sort of touches commerce payments and retail banking fintech. Fantastic. So, Amy, thank you very much for being on the show with us today. Thank you. So I'm with Pranay from Enterprise Bot. Uh, thank you so much for stopping by. You guys are doing some really cool things. Can you tell us a bit more about what you guys are up to? Sure. Uh, the idea is that in today's world, we want everything to be instant. We want our banking to be instant. We want to be able to transfer instantly. But think about the last time you actually got an instant answer from customer service. And that's kind of what we're trying to solve. Just imagine instead of having to hear those beautiful words that your call is really important to us, you could actually get an instant answer in under three and a half seconds. So we're using artificial intelligence to kind of automate the entire customer service industry. Okay. And how'd you, how'd you come up with the idea? Uh, so it started with something a lot weirder. Uh, <laughs> one of my co-founders actually was like, um, you know, you're not really social on WhatsApp, etc. Why don't you just make a bot to kind of automate yourself? It kind of grew from there. And then we actually went into how exactly can we really get business value? How can we really uh, expand this into something that's really meaningful? And we saw that customer service, especially in insurance and banking, was completely broken. And there was a huge amount of savings and also customer satisfaction that we could bring. Okay. And are you, who are you working with at the moment? Are any banks using your solution? So we are in pilot stage with Rabobank, uh, Six Payment Services, Afterpay, and a few that are under NDA as well. In Switzerland, UK, uh, right now in uh, New York, and soon in Canada as well. Great, that's fantastic. And you guys were part of the startup pitch as well? Yes, we were. And we are very happy to announce that we'll be presenting on the main stage tomorrow. Amazing, that's fantastic. So with the, with the bot, is it just uh, customer-facing or do banks use it for any sort of internal communication? or? So we started off seeing the customer as the main people that would actually use the bot. But the more we've actually worked with uh, our customers... Uh, in HR, in IT, there are so many places where you could actually use something that could give you that quick answer. And we're just seeing the entire space just grow like instantly. Yeah, great. So, I mean, what, what, what stands out about your solution compared to anyone else? Or So, there's a reason why we chose FinTech, which was how do we kind of, you know, create a solution that's not there in the market. We wanted a, secure, a system that's secure, 
already has actually the AI built in because now today most of the platforms that you're getting, you're just getting the platform and then you kind of need to go in, spend like years almost. So most of the larger players like IBM, etc., when you actually go to them, you're taking about one, one and a half years to actually go live. Our fastest go live is three weeks. So with six payment services, we actually worked and went right from start, inception of the idea, to actually putting a product that could be tested by the consumers in three weeks. Fantastic. Sounds really exciting. Well, thanks so much. Good luck tomorrow. Thank you so much. Cheers. That's it. Big thank you to all of you who came to find us at Money 2020 Europe. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel for some extended interviews. If you like the show, please drop us a review on iTunes and make sure you subscribe for more episodes. Cheers for listening. Cheers.